July 19th, 2023, to you guys out there. What a day the Lord has made. What a glorious day. What a glorious day it is to be alive, serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is the day that the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and we're going to be glad in it. For this is the day that God will take the impossible and make it possible every single time. Wherever you're facing a sea, whatever tribulation you're facing, whatever temptation you're facing, whatever situation has arose, my God is more than enough. He will take you not just over it. He'll take you through it. He'll take you under it. He'll stand in it with you. Whatever you got to do, he is with you because he sticks closer than a brother and he never forsakes or leave us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, it looks like the weather's going to be um, different all throughout the day. I think it's going to have some um, rain and snow. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> rain and storms earlier today. And then it's going to clear off this afternoon. But I think there's a potential for a couple heavier storms. I don't know if they're severe, but I think the heavier. Uh, my phone's not necessarily pulling up here. But I do know um, around 9 o'clock and around lunchtime, looks like there's a possibility of storms today. So if you need to take an umbrella to protect your hair or your makeup or whatever it is you're protecting, <laughs> some people protect their coffee. Um, that'd be me that's that's the number one priority (laughs) i don't care about the hair just don't let the uh, coffee get water in it hallelujah or my food like that would be really sad to have like fresh food from like a food truck or something and then it just start pouring on it i talked to uh i think it was renee she was talking about how she went to this fair and you know fair food you don't play around with fair food fair food is a a gift from the lord (laughs) i mean (laughs) it's not healthy but man and she said it just started pouring all over it like her food immediately got soaked it was, it was bad. Fair food, you could probably go ahead and... It, it's just good any way you look at it, though. Um, <laughs> I think this year, I want to try... I've yet to try the pulled pork nachos. Ooh, that good. sounds good. I really need to good. try those. Um, I think we need to get those at the um, concession stand here at BCA. What pulled do you pork think? nachos? I'm, I'm game. <laughs> um, I'm here for that. Jason, if you're listening... Actually, I don't know who's in charge, but... <laughs> I'm, still trying to, I'm still trying to pull some strings where the pasture gets half price at concession stand i've not got this happen oh yeah yet. <laughs> i mean I think hey that's, look i keep the concession fair. stand in business yeah like i well all I'm your pretty, kids i'm pretty sure i'm their <laughs> yeah. best customer uh, <laughs> you need yeah. a tab do you just have a tab i do have a tab each <laughs> night and i pay it each night usually um sometimes i'm if it's like two or three games two or three nights in a row i'll wait till two or three games to pay it but it's I mean, it's cheaper for me to grow Roadhouse by the time my kids get, get done with that tab. Um, one night, I, I come back to the concession stand, and I said, hey, look, um, this seems pretty high. Like, what did my kids buy? And I was kind of trying to figure it out. Well, we caught Eliza. She was going down and asking all the kids on the bleachers what they wanted to eat because my dad's got a tab, and he'll just pay for it. And so I have no she must idea. Have been talking about God the Father. I yeah, have, she must have. Been. Well, he needed to help pay me that night because um, he had I to mean, sell a cow. Lis- she listens to you talking about you know how our father he has a cow- cattle on a thousand. Well, he sold a cow that night. Um, <laughs> I don't know who I bought food for. I don't oh know what gosh. what kid. Um, I guess just I bought food for you. See, I don't know who I bought food for. <laughs> I mean, she was just going down the line like she was just going down the bleachers and saying, "You want food? My dad will pay for it. He's got a tab." And so I bought food for, pretty sure I bought food for every kid in BCA that night. Oh. Probably bought it for the parents, too, at this point. I don't know. She has a giving heart. She's uh, a giving heart. Yeah. She just, yeah. That reminds yeah. me of the time, which we need to get into announcements, but I, Eliza reminds me so much of myself. It's hilarious. I, we were at Sonic, and I, I was probably about her age. I might have been a little younger. 
and my mom was in the car and she let us sit like where those picnic tables are you know like there's some picnic tables um and so there was a waitress and the waitress was just really nice like the waitress was i i felt like she was a believer i didn't know for but i i just wanted to be kind to her and so anyways i was like well my mom gave me money and so i said i gave her i think it was like a i think it was like fifty dollars and like she gave me way more money than we actually needed for the total because I mean our food wasn't that expensive Mm -hmm. but then I had always heard her like say keep the change keep the change and so I just wanted to say keep the change but it turns out I told her to keep twenty (laughs) dollars and change (laughs) like twenty dollars was the tip I gave her and and I just I mean I didn't really realize I didn't even know how much I was tipping her I was just like keep the change bye have a good day and then my mom's like you just gave her twenty (laughs) dollars (laughs) <laughs> so, but I just wanted to give to her. So. I know, and we learn from our parents. So it just yeah. shows us that what our parents model for us is what That's true. we have a desire to do. And I know, Erin, that you have a heart to bless people, and it's rubbed off on your children. Well, That's they, true. They sure blessed people that night. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, if she starts did. trying to invite them all to Cattlemen's, you'll have another issue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, eh, that would be a little bit different story. But, <laughs> no, we, we're excited for um, upcoming school year at BCA. Uh, we're getting started August 11th, the first day of school. We do have, I believe, a few openings in the seventh and underclass. And so if you have a seventh grader or under at this moment, you could probably call into the school, get more information concerning the academy. And um, Miss Jerry will be in the office there, or Jason will be over there in the school to actually give you more information and get you set up for a tour or whatever you want to do. Um, but we believe in a biblical worldview here, mm-hmm. and we believe in giving our kids not just a quality education, but also a biblical understanding of world events. Um, we are always expanding. We're talking about some um, other areas that we could start to instruct and teach our kids. We have, I've always been persuaded that um, a kid should know how to change a tire and, um, you know, I think at least have the understanding how to change oil and, and just concepts of life skills along with practical things. If you get um, pulled, if you get a flat tire on the side of the road, you should be able to change it. And I think somebody should be able to teach them that. And so we're always striving. Um, a couple of people's mentioned some home ec and life skills like cooking and stuff like that. I probably need that because Heather's is the only thing I can think <laughs> Potatoes, mac and cheese, and spaghetti. I said, no, I can make a sandwich too. Um, <laughs> and so, but we, we just really do believe in helping the kid come around mm-hmm. all together. We don't, I mean, our, our, our greatest job I mean, our our targeted job is definitely the the education, but we just believe so much in a biblical worldview. And so mm-hmm. I love how much scripture is incorporated into this curriculum. I love how much scripture is incorporated in everyday life. And this year we're trying to be much more intentional and purposeful about prayer and spiritual yeah. principles. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so excited. This year I get to go over um, and I'll be teaching the high school New Testament all throughout the year. So I got them every single day. Um, for about 45 minutes getting to teach the Bible to about 30-something kids. And so I'm really excited for that. It's a captive audience. Um, They don't have the choice to come to to church then. they got to come. No, just kidding. It's more of a um, survey of the New Testament. So we Mm, just – but I've done it before. Actually, I've done it a couple times, and it's always a lot of fun. And Mm -hmm. we learn a lot of things. And, of course, I chase a lot of rabbits. So – we just go for it. I think a lot of the, like, it'll be the high school age, you said. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think they're eager to learn. They just don't always want to admit it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I've learned because yeah. through talking with different teens and stuff, it's like they want to know things. They sure. want to learn. But I think sometimes they don't. For some reason, our culture just makes it n- seem not cool to, like, mm-hmm. apply yourself more. And, or too like, complicated. Yeah. Like, it's just it just doesn't seem like the cool thing to do or whatever. But I do think that they want it. I do. And I think it'll be very profitable. So yeah. I'm excited. I think it's about just um, – I think for teenagers a lot, what I found, um, even the years I was the youth pastor, um, is that they don't really know how to get started. Yeah. And once mm-hmm. they get started and get that foundation building, then you can keep building those blocks on it. But that, that task of just initially getting started Starting is so it. daunting. Um, and it seems scary or a bit mm. too big sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I think tonight's the night for Clarkson Community. Um, their VBS will begin tonight, and that's going to be exciting. I think that runs all the way through Saturday, and that's going to be incredible. Um, I know they always put on a, an awesome VBS. Um, our VBS here coming up is August 3rd, 4th, and 5th. We're excited for ours as well, beginning at 6 o'clock nightly through 8 o'clock. Um, and, of course, if you got the app, you'll see all these events there. Greater Vision concert um, is on East Market's Main Street on August the 4th. Um, and if you got plans, if you don't have plans, you can attend there. What time does that start, Hannah? I don't that know. That one starts at 6. It's from 6 to 8. 6, o- well. six to 8. And I know uh, Pastor Dennis Cook from First Baptist is going to be there to open it up. And then we also have the Harvest Crusade coming up here at Bethel Fellowship September 10th, 11th, and 12th. That's Saturday. The Sunday night we will start at 6, and Monday and Tuesday we will probably start at 7. Um, give people time to get off of work and get dinner. Um, and so on the weekdays it tends to work better, a little bit later start time. And I understand, well, i got to be out later. Yeah, but you don't want to skip dinner. And so um, it's just easier if yeah. people have time to eat and get home off work and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So we're very excited for that coming up. Did I miss any? Um. I don't. Man up at the lake. Man up at the lake, July 27th, not this Thursday, but next Thursday. We're getting everything ready back there. Start at 6 o'clock. We usually start at 6.30, but we'll start at 6. Give us plenty of time. It The weather as of right now, and we rebuke it and tell it to move on. Um, rain, rain, go away, come back Friday. Um, uh-huh. is, is stormy, and so we're praying against that. Because mm-hmm. if it does storm, we will still have it here, though. I mean, we'll just move it inside. But we have been... Um, working hard, actually, um, Mr. Justin and Mr. Tim have been huge helping us get that area back there ready anyways, and um, that's going to be exciting. And then, of course, on our VBS, we have confirmed that on that Saturday, an anonymous donor, they don't want to be known, um, and so just an anonymous donor has helped us get the 100-foot obstacle, obstacle, what is it, how do you say that, obstacle, there we go, course that can, that's basically like, two or three water slides in one it's huge Ooh, um, awesome. you just keep going down it's a hundred foot long and it is massive and so it's not a hundred foot high it's a hundred foot long and you just keep going and you keep going and you keep <laughs> going and so we are more than excited for that and um, it's going to be a great day on that saturday just kind of like uh it's, basically it's going to be a, it's commencement day and but it's going to be a fun day and yeah. i'm having a water gun all day long <laughs> and that's I'm, from 10 a.m to four yeah and so it's, it almost feels more like a church picnic that we get to celebrate yeah. the end of VBS with. So um, it's going to be an amazing time for that. And um, if your kids want to come up, we got decorations coming out of our ears at this point. We're um, for VBS, and we are going 
on not this Sunday, but next Sunday to pick up more from another church that just did the VBS like we're doing. And she says, well, we have, I talked to her for about 30 minutes yesterday on the phone. And uh, she said right now they had a, I think it was like a box trailer and 12 cars and v, like SUVs full of stuff that they have. Wow. And so I'm like, well, me may just need to get a big U-Haul um, and bring them back. Um, because that's a lot of decorations, and mm. so, yeah. but we got a lot of space to cover. So we yeah, will, we will, yeah. I, you know, for kids and BBS, like that initial decoration wowness mm-hmm. is what gets them there. Like, yeah. Yeah. for me, it's that f- that first five minutes you have them for the start of VBS determines the rest of VBS. Mm-hmm. It's that energy. It's that high packed. It's that high impact. It's the decorations. It's the light show. It's the music. And we're going to do it all. Me and Todd Mings is figuring out this light show issue because we got lights everywhere. And so we're doing it. We're going to go big. We're going to, the kids are going to walk into that sanctuary to meet. And it's going to be, wow, what's going on in here? Mm-hmm. And it's going to be awesome. We're excited. I don't, but then like, and people say, well, you don't need all that excitement. You just need to tell them the gospel. Well, it's called the nets and that's how mm-hmm. we fish. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the end game is to see every child that comes to VBS saved. Yeah. But the method to fish and catch them changes. And if I have to do a light show and energy and uh, decorations to get the kid compelled to hear, so be it. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's it's the fishing nets. And so um, I'll cast my nets however I can because we're called to be fishers of men. And mm-hmm. the gospel never changes, but the methods always are shifting because culture is always shifting and people yeah. change. I think the joy of the Lord is what really sets us apart. Um, because I think a lot of kids and not even kids, I've heard a lot of like young adults, you know, come and visit, you know, man up or Bethel or whatever it is and be like that everybody's so joyful here. Yep. <laughs> and I'm not just, you know, trying to plug in and, and lift up Bethel. I know there's other churches that they have the joy of the Lord and, you know, like we're blessed to have a community of churches and be in the Bible Belt. But there's a lot of churches that um that people grow up in or maybe they don't go to church consistently and their home life is just awful. You know, their home life is very sad and negative and not joyful, you know? And I feel like when like kids, you never know what kids are going through, Mm -hmm. you know? And if they can come here and see how joyful people are because of Jesus, like that can set, Mm -hmm. set Christians apart and set following Jesus apart so that they will want to do it. You know? Because when they see that joy, they want it. Yeah. And that's so. what um, I really believe. That's what sets that that seed in them is seeing that joy, yeah, and experiencing joy. I got the joy, 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 joy <laughs> down in my heart. You remember that song? Yeah, I do. I like that song. Yeah. Maybe we should do it. <laughs> I'll do it. I get my sing on. All right. Um, I like it when you sing. I'm not you. here for thank these you, people that say that you can't sing. Thank <laughs> you. Sing. I knew I liked her. Heather, are you listening? He I really had, can sing. When I he had, really tries, he can sing. I had um, I asked Jamie last night. It's good to have Jamie back in the studio this morning. <laughs> but I asked her last night. I said, I'm so glad that I, I mean, like, you're alive. I didn't know. I didn't, <laughs> she just dropped off the mat for like two weeks. And so I was like, Jamie, where are you at? You know? Uh, I did go on vacation. but I thought we was going to have to go cast the nets for her. <laughs> Mariah's shaking her head. SMH shaking my head. <laughs> I can't read and I'm not good at charades. <laughs> she says I can't sing. Oh. She says you're crazy. 
<laughs> but uh, um, no, it is good. To, it is good. It's good to be alive. It's a good day to be alive. It is a good day to be alive. Um, we have a lot of good announcements. And um, again, Clarkson Community's VBS starts tonight. And I know that Clarkson Community is an incredible ministry right there off of 62, right across from the Beehive. And you need to get there. Um, if you got kids, get them over there. They start at 6 o'clock, I think. Uh, let's yeah. see here. I think it's 6 o'clock. And I know they do a fantastic job over there. And so let's get your kids out to that. Then get your kids out to ours in August. So mm-hmm. we'll have, well, it's basically a thing like this, guys. It's free babysitting for the, for like, <laughs> you could probably get free babysitting throughout the whole summer if you played your VBS cards right. Honestly. Like you just got to have organization. And think about it. They're, your kids are being taken care of, but they're being fed in the spirit. Right. What else would you ever want? Yeah, exactly. And they'll be fed naturally, spiritually, and they're going to be fed with a water gun from me. Um, <laughs> all throughout VBS. It's going to be amazing. I'm just going to have a water I'm I'm looking at them on Amazon. Um, I'm probably going to be looking like Rambo coming in there. I'm going to have a vest on with extra water. And, you know, it's like, have you ever seen those vests people run with? Or ride bikes with yes. that have the straw sticking out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably gonna pack one of those so that when I run out of water, I can just feed it right back into the oh water gun. And I don't have to put a water hose <laughs> you think on. That's what do Jesus meant when he said, "Feed my sheep." Oh, that is definitely. Um, <laughs> it is that see, living water look, shooting look, at us. <laughs> his was foot washing. Mine is water gun. All right, I've just fallen his you lead. You can justify it with the living water. I'm telling I mean, you what, it can fit the theme. Yeah, we're gonna wash them with the living water. Um, and so he said, "Continue the foot washing." Well, I'm I'm continuing to do the washing. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be biblical. You can spray their feet with the water gun. I'm trying to be Christ-like in all things. Oh. And if Christ <laughs> had a water gun, I bet he would have squirted his disciples. I would say so. Yeah. Jesus, I bet. I bet Jesus was really fun to be around. Yeah. I did oh too. yeah. He is um, fun to be. That around. is one thing I like about the chosen. I know it's it's not a replacement for scripture or anything like that. And they you know say that from the get go. But I like how they portray Jesus mm-hmm. as like. You know, fun. Fun? <laughs> yeah. Fun. Yeah. And yeah. like they show him and the disciples having fun together yeah. and that relationship. I like it. I bet Jesus told a joke. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure he I did. bet he told dad jokes. I mean, how savage he is in the scriptures. Like, <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Mariah said he didn't tell dad jokes. Oh. I don't know about dad jokes. Probably but not dad jokes, but. He do got a sense of humor. I'll tell you that. Dad joke told here. It's our sign. Josh Milburn got for us. He oh, that was Josh Milburn? Yeah. I didn't know who got yeah. that. Well, actually, him, uh, Miss Rachel, I think, picked it out of the store. Um, and I love that little dad joke sign. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm trying to find out. Let's see here. We got through two verses yesterday <laughs> talking about portraying him. Maybe um, with Jamie we'll get farther. Actually, no. We got. I think we got through three verses. Well, we have all morning unless do we have a guest this four morning? Four verses. We hit four verses. I'm trying to remember. We don't have a guest this morning. I don't think. Uh, he then lying. So we all right. Have our time. Um, yes. Yeah, so we're in verse 25 and John chapter 13, verse 25. He then lying on Jesus's breast. That's talking of John. Saith unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. Um, and so he's basically saying, when I give him this, you'll know exactly who it is. So when Jesus had dipped the soap or sop or whatever you pronounce that as, um, we don't say sop anymore. Um, I think it's basically, let me see here. Let me make sure my old English is correct. Um, I don't, let's see here in the ESV. I think it just reads, um, the morsel morsel of bread, the bread. 
That's what I was thinking it was. But I want to confirm because my old English sometimes is a little bit off. He gave the bread. He gave the bread. He dipped it. Mm-hmm. And whenever he dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after that, after the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said unto him, that, that thou doest, do it quickly. And so he's basically saying, I do think that it's, um, I don't think we should ever overlook that statement when he gave him the bread, Satan entered into him. Now, mm-hmm. I think we have to understand this <clears throat> in the fullest context because this is not like Satan wasn't around him before. Because you got to remember, you go all the way back to John chapter 6, Jesus called him a devil. And so it's not like he never was, like that he was saved and then Satan filled him or not. I don't mm-hmm. believe that was the case here. All right, because Jesus had already alluded to Judas being a devil before. Mm-hmm. I think what he's saying there is that Satan continuously, he just kept, he just filled his heart again. And yeah. I think it's the same kind of statement that <clears throat> was made concerning Ananias and Sapphira in Acts. Whenever they lied to the elders and they lied to the Holy Spirit, it said Satan had filled their heart. Why has Satan filled your heart? And so we have seen this, this um idea several times throughout scriptures about satan filling somebody's heart or satan filling somebody's mind or something to that regard and we see that here with judas and jesus said hey whatever thou was going to do just go do it quickly now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him i'm not for sure that when jesus told john that the one who he gave the bread to Mm -hmm. is him i'm not for sure and if you all read it differently you can tell me. I'm not for sure the whole table heard it. Um, and the and the reason so is, you know, Simon Peter beckoned to him that he should ask whom and spake. So then mm-hmm. he lying on Jesus' breath. So I think John was just close to him. Um, I think he was, John was always right there with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And John may have, I have a hard time. I don't think that John was literally just laying on Jesus. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I, I think more than what, what this statement is saying, it's almost a, um, <clears throat> it's kind of like this idea that John was always right next to Jesus. Like mm-hmm. he was right there on his side. He was right there. And I, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know. I mean, like I doubt Jesus was holding John and John was just like resting on his chest kind of deal. I think it was a statement of intimacy. I think it was mm-hmm. a statement of closeness. I think yeah. it was a statement saying John was right there. But I think John was close enough to Jesus that he always had his ear and mm-hmm. Jesus always had his ear. And he was a disciple that Jesus loved. And most people do believe that John was the youngest of the disciples. So if he was the youngest, he could have been young, as young as 12, 13 or 14 years old. And so you got to remember Mary was only about 13 or 14 when she had Jesus. So it was the age thing was a little bit different back mm-hmm. then. Um, and so I think that whenever Jesus told John that the one who I put the bread and dip it and give to will be the one I personally think, and I don't have any other reason to believe otherwise in Scripture, that everybody heard it unless I missed something. So mm-hmm. if somebody knows something I missed, because it would make a lot more sense in contextualization because um, no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. Mm-hmm. And my but, version says none of the others yeah. at the table knew what Jesus meant. Yeah. So that kind of shows that, obviously, John... And Peter, who they were actually asking Jesus about this, would be yeah. the ones that actually understood what what happened. Mm-hmm. And he was going to betray Yes, he is now no one at the table. Yeah. Well, actually, I would say that 
I don't even I don't even we don't have record of it that John was able to turn around and tell Peter. Hmm. So I'm actually not going to be surprised if John was the only one because, and I'm not even for sure how much John relayed to Peter later on because mm-hmm. uh, I think eventually probably was in the, when they went to the garden and they was sleeping or something or hanging out. I'm sure it did come up like this mm-hmm. is what Jesus said, but even right here I don't even think Peter actually knew what's going on because I think as as soon as John asked this, Jesus said. You know, if I when I take this bread and dip it, whoever I give this to is the one that's going to betray me. Mm-hmm. It seems like he immediately did it. And so I don't know, like maybe John didn't nudge Peter. Peter, that's the guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I think on the initial dip of the bread, I really don't. I think what scripture saying, no one really knew. Like mm-hmm. they wasn't really understanding what all this happened. And Jesus just stood up and said, hey, whatever you got to do, you go do it quickly. Well, well if, I wonder what they thought before when he said that. I mean, one of you is a devil. <laughs> well, I think, know, have you ever right. thought about uh, that? Like, yeah, Jesus, uh, he is. He, he gets on my nerves. I agree. <laughs> Double devil over there. Double devil. Like, I wonder if they're, like, freaking out on the inside. Like, am I the devil? Am I the devil? Like, who's well, I, the devil? Well, I mean, I, they did talk amongst themselves. Like, is it yeah. me? Is it you? Is it Jamie? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, who is it? Uh, and so... That would be very stressful, I would. Imagine. Well, yeah. yeah. It's a high-stress high situation. Um, and so then all of a sudden, though, like, now in the midst of all this, Jesus takes bread, dips it, gives it to Judas, and said, hey, whatever you got to do, you just go do it. And do it quickly. Get it, get it, let's get it done with. And everybody's probably like, what is he talking about? But surely, sooner or later, it had to start clicking. Like, yeah. it would have had to click sooner or later. Um, 28... Now, no man at the table knew what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need against the fee of the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the bread, went out immediately, and it was night. So it even gives us more context about they didn't know. Well, mm-hmm. Judas has the, he has the money. So maybe he's going to go take care of all the supplies that we just had to have for the feast. Or maybe he's going to go give to the poor. Maybe he's going to go do this. Maybe he's going to go take a shower. Who knows? Uh, maybe maybe Judas kind of smelled and they thought Jesus was telling him to go take a bath. I mean, this could have been a lot of things. Do whatever you're going to do. Go do it quickly. Mm-hmm. And then it's night. He he takes the bread. It's night. He's leaving. And then there, therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said. So now I think Jesus said it to the whole group. Mm-hmm. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Well, they probably thought, uh-oh, another one of these speeches. I'm not going to have an idea. I don't know what he's talking about again. Um, I, I bet they had that thought a couple of times. Again, oh, yeah. I, I try to really read into this kind of stuff a lot, and I don't try to insert theirs. I don't, I don't try to insert things into the text that's not there, but... If we stop trying, like, we see everything in 2020 retro vision. Mm-hmm. But if we're hearing this kind of stuff and we're hanging out with Jesus every single day and he's teaching like this, there's going to be some days we're going, okay, here it goes again. I have no idea what's going to be said. I'm just going to listen. And um, and because he said stuff in such a way, like, yeah. hey, unless you drink in my blood and eat in my flesh. I bet sometimes they were like, all right, get him, Jesus. So I don't know what you're going to say today, but it's going to be good. All right. <laughs> um, you know, it, I think it's just that kind of idea. And so mm-hmm. he had just randomly told Judas to go do it quickly. And now he stands up and says, now the son of man is glorified and God has glorified him. And if God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway 
glorify him. Now, we understand everything he's saying. Like, we understand it because we understand the gospel. And mm-hmm. we understand that God did glorify himself through the cross. Yeah. They didn't know anything. They just had a dinner. They were in the feast. He just told Judas to go give to the poor, they thought. And so, okay, so you're glory- you've lost me again. He lost me. And this is why the reason I think they lost him is because he says little children. So I would probably say he could say, I could probably, I would say he probably sensed the uh, little children. Okay, I understand you're struggling to understand, but yet a little while I am with you. Because now he starts to become more understandable. Mm-hmm. All right, Jesus, what are you talking about? A little while I'm with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also loved one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then Simon Peter and said, Lord, whether thou goest, Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou cannot follow me, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And Peter said unto him, Lord, thy, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, I, verily, I say unto you, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me three times. Dang. It's Ooh. the way um, that chapter ends is like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm just, I know Peter. Like, I, I think sometimes I'm Peter. Yeah. Peter, I would never do it. Peter, I mean, Jesus, if you go, I'll go die with you. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus probably said it in more of a heartbroken tone, like, Peter, you're going to deny me. And the cock, the rooster, is not going to crow until you do it three times. And that was a big statement because Peter just said, if you go, I'll go with you and die. I don't care, Jesus. I'll go with you. Jesus didn't just say, Peter, you're going to deny me. Mm -hmm. He says, you're going to deny me three times before morning. Mm -hmm. Like that very night, before morning, when the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And this coming from the guy that just looked him in the eye and said, I will die with you. And so you see the drastic turn of events that we're getting ready to experience. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. And I love it because at first when he started talking after Judas left, it was kind of like, okay, what is this glorifying thing? Little children, understand this. I'm going to be gone. I am leaving. I'm not going to be with me, with you. And you're going to come seek me and you're not going to find me because where I'm going right now, you can't go. But if we understand the other context of Scripture, where he is going, we couldn't go until he went and made a place for us. Yeah. yeah. And so the reason we couldn't go at that point is because, um, you know, he was making place. Mm-hmm. He was making room. He was making a way. And even though we couldn't go at that exact moment, we will go with him for eternity. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a hard, ch- like that chapter kind of starts out on the, the slower side a little bit. And then it's like that. Climax and hit Leave it hard. Him with a bang. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I, I don't. I would say Peter's heart was just dropped to his yeah. feet. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Mom would have. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus saying that to you. Yep. Like, oh yeah. I mean, he says some hard things to me before, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, but, but having that, him look at you and say it in front of everybody. But that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, mm-hmm. I'll read this one part A of fourteen one. But let your heart, let not your heart be troubled. Mm. I love how he finished that up. So, because yeah. you got to remember, they didn't have chapters. So, this was just a story. This mm-hmm. was just a convert. This was a conversation yep. they were having, 
And Jesus just told Peter that. And then in verse 1 of 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, because it's just what I just said. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you also will be. And whether I go, you know, and the way you will know. So he's saying you'll never, it's not that you'll never go there. It's saying I have to go there first because I'm the firstborn among many brethren. Mm-hmm. I love how the ESV says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he is the way. He and is. They know him. Like, I love that. Yeah. Yep. He is the so, way. So um, now we're getting ready to get into the fast-paced, action-packed. It's going to be hard to get through just two verses coming up here over the last portion of the, the scripture because of um, we're getting into the passion. Well, we're well into the passion week already, but we're getting mm-hmm. in, we're getting ready to go into the trial, the crucifixion. Um, the burial, the resurrection, all these things. And it is, um, John's awesome for that. All right, Wednesday question number one, sponsored by the Sicilian Bank. Concerning which disciple did the rumor spread that he would not die? Again, Wednesday question number one, sponsored by the Sicilian Bank. Concerning which disciple did the rumor spread that he would not die? 270-257-2689. We'll be right back here after the break. On Mornings with Box 2 Radio, on the Box 2 Radio Network. All right, we are back here on Mornings with Box 2 Radio, on the Box 2 Radio Network. Mariah, do we have an answer for the trivia question? We got a person. She's she's texting me. She's texting me about how beautiful my voice is. Um, <laughs> she said no to that. I don't, I'm not getting anything. It's not going through. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right. We are, um, I don't know who's, was it the one that just come inside? No, it was somebody else. Oh, okay. I'll wait, I'll await the text message. I don't, I can't read lips. I'm horrible at that. Um, I can barely read Bibles and books. I can't read lips too. Oh. I'm horrible. I am horrible at reading lips. I've never been good at that. Like, some people can, like, say exactly what they can, like... Greg Carwile. Greg Carwile got it? Okay. Uh-huh. How did it work with Hannah's and not mine? I don't know. Maybe uh, hers is Oh, she was saying Thursday. I I read her lips when she said Thursday, but she was saying Greg comes in on Thursdays. She was trying to say who comes in on Thursday. So, Greg got the answer? Yeah. Greg Carwile got the answer, Woo! and it is John um, was the disciple that, you know, it alluded yeah. to that would never die. And honestly, um, I don't really like they. Caught, they try to kill John quite a bit. And John, as far as we can understand, basically just died of old age on the island of Patmos. Um, hey, that's nice. And so he, they try to boil him. They try to do everything, and it was very gruesome. And the martyrdom that back then was no joke. But they tried everything to John, and John just didn't die. And um, that's awesome. And so, it's, it's like, <laughs> you come after me. Hey, you could try. <laughs> I ain't going to die. Um, <laughs> but it's true for us. I mean, hey, you come at me. My flesh might die, but my spirit's eternal. So you do what you want to do. But I got a God. Um, I got the God. I got Jesus Christ on my side. So what can you really do? Nothing. So try. Keep trying. But I'm stronger because I got that him. In, in and times. that's what John said. That's what John said right there. <laughs> that was exactly how it <laughs> come sounded. Come at me. Sounded. 
And okay, you'll see I have, what, to, what I have to share this real quick before you go. I don't know what you're going into, Aaron, but um, <laughs> when we, we, Jamie and I were in a young adult group in college, and um, one of our leaders, um, she, when she would get to testifying, you know, her, her voice <laughs> sounded a lot like that little, that little testifying moment right there. Yeah, I like it. And uh, she would share, like, what the Lord's speaking to her and stuff. And then they talked about how, like, what does God's voice sound like to you? Like, they were asking us that. And then one of the leaders just started dying laughing, and he said, I would love to hear what God sounds like in Jamie's head. <laughs> because he was like, I just I just would love to hear it based on, like, how she testifies. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> All right, I got to... Uh, I did, somebody did say something the other day. Oh, I mean, it's not the other day. It was a long time ago when I, I first got saved and they said that God speaks in the way that you can always understand. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, pretty much every person I know then speaks in old English on a regular basis. Cause every time God would prophesy in the church house, it was always in old English. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm like, okay, like. I don't know about you, but I don't understand what sop is or soap. <laughs> I, I understand bread. And so um, I was like, it's, it's a different world up here. It's a different world up here. And so I remember, and I'm not trying to like, people think I'm critical of the king. I'm not, okay? Just hear that. I'm not critical of it, but I, w I struggled younger age mm -hmm. because I would hear the Lord speak and I would try to translate it into old English. So it was like, when I hear... Like the Lord speak. I was like, okay, I can't say the Lord says. I got to say, thus saith the Lord. So I was translating. I was like transliteralization. So I was like, okay, this is how the Lord's speaking to me. But everybody else I know prophesies in old English. So if I'm ever going to prophesy in the church, I've got to speak in old English. And so I was literally trying to transliterate from my head to old English so that it would sound more godly. And I struggled with that for a whole, I mean, a long time. And so I just like, finally, I got to the point where I realized I don't have to, uh, just the Lord says, and, the Lord says this. Um, and so I don't know, I really did. And I feel like some other people probably struggle with that, especially if you, I mean, like the, where I grew up in, it was like people prophesied, we had tongues and interpretation mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. But even like sometimes there was like I guess there's even that fear in you inherently when you feel like you got an interpretation for a tongue, but it wasn't an old English. Yeah. And so it's like because everything I've ever heard was just old English, and mm -hmm. and so I think we have to be cautious to say the Lord only speaks this way. In this way. Because yeah. you know, because um, then we will actually prevent somebody from actually prophesying what God's mm -hmm. really saying because. Well, they may not be able to translate it to that or say it like yeah. that. And yeah. We got to be cautious to, to like, um, you know, let the Lord use us in our own personalities because He created mm -hmm. us in all the ways that we did. So, um, I think it's He, Jamie's fearfully and wonderfully created is by Him, and her personality was created by Him. And Amen. if He wanted her to be like Saint John, He would have made her like Saint John, but He didn't. Yeah. He made Jamie yeah. like Jamie. And I think one of the things we have to do in the church is learn to celebrate each other's individuality and personality yeah. and yeah. giftings and um, and say, like, I don't need Jamie to sound like me and I don't need Hannah to sound like Jamie. We yeah. need Aaron to be Aaron, Hannah to be Hannah, and Jamie to be Jamie. Yeah. And we have to release Come people Amen. to do that. Amen. Come on. Preach it. Come on. Yeah, I like that. Because really, because if we're, oh, oh go ahead. Because go if we're trying to be like a person, who are we trying, who are we actually glorifying? Mm -hmm. We ain't glorifying him, who he created us to be. We're trying to be like man. 
what he say about that <laughs> yeah yeah and it would make sense like which bible translation you're using too like if the lord is speaking like wor- the word of god to you like mm-hmm. speaking to you through the word mm-hmm. it would make sense if like he's speaking to you through king james if that's all you read sure or it would make sense if like he's bringing scripture to your remembrance <coughs> and he's speaking to you through you know more understandable english <laughs> from esv yeah. or something you know so I-, I take that into account too like the lord mm-hmm. knows like the lord knows our hearts but he also he knows our personalities and what we read i think does you know, will affect it. But just because we read King James doesn't always mean he's going to speak in King James, yeah. I feel like. Well, I mean, I, I think we just have to learn to hear God. Yep. Yeah. And um, and I think that we have to re- give people permission to grow and mm-hmm. have grace. But also, yeah. um, you know, I've, we always, I talk like this in, um, I think it's that cutting on the ear. Yeah. Um, not literally, but spiritually, mm-hmm. like trying to get things out of it watch what you're hearing, watch what you're listening to, watch what you're watching. Um, it's that, it's that protecting the eye and the ear. But a lot of times we're very caught up in the big things. And if we go back to Elijah, you know, when he was in the cat, the Lord wasn't in the whirlwind. He wasn't mm. in the fire. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in all that. What was he in? The still small voice. Yeah. And what we do is we look for the very big prevalent in your face things. But what I found in my own life is the Lord's voice is actually one of the quietest things. And I have to seek it, and I have to be still, and I have to look for it and hear it. And and if we're ever going to operate in the prophetic, it's because we're being purposeful about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And um, and we're trying to hear and listen. And the Lord, if all you've ever read is King James, then that will be probably how you are sensing and you are hearing things of godly prayer. Because a lot of times, even the scriptures coming back to your brain. But I, I do think that some people sometimes struggle with that in certain areas. Like now. At, here you know people prophesy people do that but we don't really do the you know we don't really do like make it feel like we're reading the king james out loud Mm -hmm. but i have been in a church where you basically wasn't allowed to do that unless you did do sound like that and and i just think we're putting we're we're missing things because not everybody's going to be able to say like you or say like me Mm -hmm. or um and i don't need you to be like me um you don't want to talk like me hannah said that you know the elegance that's not there is the reason people like to hear me. Well, if if you're going to be a speaker, you probably should do a lot better job at public speaking than I do with pronunciation. And so we just need to learn to celebrate each other's giftings. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as long as it's not the passion translation you're reading, I'm good with it. I don't care. Um, and so all I, I care about really is if my spirit bears witness with what someone is speaking from mm-hmm. the Lord, yeah. you know, because you will know them by their fruits. You will know. Mm-hmm. When the spirit of God is speaking. Yeah. And there's been times. And test the spirits. Yeah. Like there's been times We're people people come up and pray or people have came up and shared a word at church that they weren't saying it, you know, in a fan, in a formal manner. They were just sharing God's heart mm-hmm. in yeah. that moment. And I knew it was coming from the Lord because it hit me like a train. I was like, okay, Lord, <laughs> you're speaking to me. I know it, you know, and like you just will know. And even if it's not specifically for me, I know if it's coming from the Lord, you know, so. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. confirmation Thank and you, Jesus. witness. Because we need it. Yeah. If not, we'd be tossed around. Mm-hmm. We're not meant to receive everything that's spoken because not everything that's spoken is of him. Yep. We have to have discernment mm-hmm. and we have to have the word in us because yep. if somebody prophesies or says a word over you that is anti-scriptural, 
then it then it's ain't from God. the Lord. Because yeah. he will never contradict or break his scripture. Yeah. So if you have Bible questions, if you have anything you want us to dialogue or engage upon, please never hesitate to text 270-230-6337. Again, that's 270-230-6337. We love to engage and interact, answer your Bible questions with an honest attempt. We are we don't know everything. We're learning just as much as anybody else. And um, but we love to grow in the word and grow mm-hmm. in the sword, sharpening the sword, because it is our offensive weapon it is the thing that we um, we fight with and is the thing we go forward with. And um, we're just believing God that we will all grow in the word of God and mm-hmm. in the understanding that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. So two seven oh two three zero six three three seven we love to answer your bible questions and we will always do it with an honest tip so we love doing that get those in and we will dialogue or maybe there's a discussion you all want to do um and we will get that going so today we are supposed to be diving into bible translations and english and how we get it on get it into the english so hannah did you prepare because you were supposed to do all this um (laughs) (laughs) hey we did talk about this in school but it's been a while. Um, yeah. Do you Not, remember anything? Uh, some things. Uh, I know about, oh. like, dynamic equivalents mm-hmm. and word for word, thought for thought. Sure. For a little bit. I did See, the five major translations that they taught us were a little bit different uh-huh. than what we've talked about. So that was one, thi- one difference. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't teach us the King James no. in those five major translations. Yeah. Which I do disagree with on that yeah. one. I, I mm-hmm. do think King James is definitely one of the um, the standard. Te- for me, the three standard texts for me is the NASB, ESV, and the King James. And uh, See, they put the NIV in the five. I would never mm-hmm. dream of it. Yeah. Um, but they so. did say, if I'm remembering correctly, that the NRSV... They said was, was the most, most accurate. accurate translation. Yeah. Um, but I actually, I think most scholars would disagree, though. Um, most scholars will say the NASB is actually the most translated, the 1977. I think it's the NA. The American Standard Bible. And it's actually so accurate according to the manuscripts that we have an originality that it's clunky to read at times. I think the NRSV, well, they sound similar, but I think Mm -hmm. the NRSV was just one of the five. But I think it was the NASB that was the most accurate. Now, if we are going to get into the per se accuracy and that um, like I think the NRSV if I'm not mistaken now this is I'm working off this I didn't I don't I don't have all this knowledge stored in my head so um, I some of have to think hard on I think the ESV is actually a revision of the NRSV Um, and so we I think it's an updated version of it but I'm not 100% sure on that I know it's not an updated version of the NASB because NASB upgraded it updated itself not too long ago Mm -hmm. Um, and people say, well, if you need to upgrade or update it, then you're you got a poor text anyways. You cannot forget that the King James has been through a lot of revisions, mm-hmm. um, actually a whole lot of revisions. Now, that's why some people would say, um, some people do say that the only King James they should use is the 1611 authorized version of the, the King James. Well, if you look into the 1611 authorized King James version, originally there there was a lot of translation mistakes, and they fixed it almost immediately. There was mm-hmm. it was a quick fix on that one because they realized that there was some issues that that was there. Not saying there was issues in translation. Mm-hmm. What most of the time when there's issues or situations being fixed in translations, it's grammar, mm-hmm. and just making sure the grammar reads well and that all that is proper. But also the 1611 authorized version of the King James did include the Apocrypha. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people struggle with that as well, which I would, because I don't believe the Apocrypha is canon. Mm-hmm. But 
to understand Bible translations, and a lot of people don't, and so this is why we're taking time out. If if this is something like, well, this is this is re, this is all not really important, seems boring. Let's just study the Bible. Well, we kind of need to know where the Bible comes from. It's true, and how we get it, and where we're at, and so a lot of people have talked to us about this. So that's why we're going to go ahead and try this with the best. And again, I mean, I don't have a degree, so if I make a mistake somewhere and I'm running off of memory for most of this, um, you know, bear with me, but. We have what we call the original manuscripts. So Greek and Koine Greek, um, it's Koine Greek and Hebrew. So mm-hmm. Old Testament is Hebrew, New Testament is Greek, and a little bit of Aramaic. There is like um, when Jesus is on the cross and he said, Ila, Ila Lama Shabbatani, or Shabbatania, depending on who you read it or says it, um, then he was basically speaking Aramaic. That was an Aramaic statement. Um, some people say there's an Aramaic text. I don't know anything about an Aramaic text. That's one of my biggest problems with the Passion Translation is the translator um, actually, I think, alluded to in one teaching I heard him saying he had mysteries of the Aramaic text and that he translated the Bible, the Passion Translation, from the Aramaic text. Well, I have a real problem with that because there is no Aramaic text. Mm-hmm. Like that, As far as we know, there's no translatable Aramaic text. There was Aramaic statements, but not Aramaic text. And so we have the original manuscripts. We are finding older and older manuscripts through our archaeological digs and other things too right now um, Dead Sea Scrolls that was a famous one that came out of a cliff in the middle mm-hmm. of Israel um, and it was very well preserved but this is the important thing to know when somebody says we found an, or another manuscript manuscript it is never the whole Bible like it's not like we dug up a whole Bible from Ephesus in mm-hmm. AD 60 like what it is it's pieces of parchment yeah. so now there there was a few times we saw we found almost the whole book of John or like in a other book, but what we do is we find these older parchments and you're able to date them and try to figure out when they come from and we piece them together. Mm-hmm. So with the Dead Sea Scrolls, what we found is that we were 99.9999999% accurate with like the book of Isaiah, mm-hmm. which is incredible. I mean, it is incredible there because the only few things is off is grammar. And that's, I mean, grammar is just grammar. Like, yeah. so if you see me write, it's horrible. And if you see me spell, it's even worse. And so um, in that regard, I think that's always important to understand is that we have original manuscripts and the original manuscripts would be Hebrew and Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're getting older and older. And the Dead Sea Scrolls was definitely the oldest we got. And um, and to really understand the original language takes a lot of work because, well, Greek, the Greek, the Greek translation or the Greek language is a dead language mm-hmm. Koine Greek is dead it, it's not spoke anywhere in the world today as far as I think I can understand or remember and so we have to learn basically a dead Greek language and that's not always easy but there's a lot of really um, we're probably as skilled as we've been in a long time at it and Hebrew of course you just have to have a real good um, <laughs> and for me I piddled around in both I feel like mm-hmm. Hebrew is a harder language that's just me. I could be wrong, but because the Hebrew language is not just language. There's a lot of numerology behind it. There's yeah. some other things. You have, to, so, you have to read left to right or yeah, right, right, right to, to left. left, right to left yeah. too. You start in the back. Yeah. And that's just, it's really confusing for me. Yeah. Um, I feel like if I can learn anything, it'd probably be Greek. And uh, one of what I've heard, they say, they say it's easier. Yeah. I've had friends in school that took Greek and they said it's, Kind of like, you know how there's like the Greek terms that we derive language from. It kind of helps. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. That's what they've said. Yeah, I was, 
I would like to look more into the Aramaic because uh, I believe we I've studied or you know it was taught some about Aramaic texts, but I see here as I'm looking at some of the articles, um, I would like to study into the Aramaic in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yep. Um, like when it was written in Aramaic. Um, like the Aramaic text that's in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is there's and portions. And if there's any new, there's yeah. portions of the Aramaic because Jesus did speak in Aramaic a lot, mm-hmm. but we actually don't have an Aramaic text. But there's Aramaic portions of it. In, Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it's it's actually a very small proportion. Mm-hmm. Like there is it is there. Um, now the translator of the Passion translation. I think he alluded to in one part, like God gave him the mysteries of the Aramaic text and that he is, um, I think he called it the love language of heaven or like, something like, like that. Like God just downloaded it. Yeah. But also him. now this guy did say one time, I'm not trying to slander. So I'm not saying names. So yeah. like, I'm just saying, I've heard this guy say it. I've heard him teach it, it through clips from other people that brought it up. Something to the regard of, you know, like he has mysteries of the the Bible that no one's ever revealed. I'm wanting to say he even has a book of the Bible that no one's ever wrote. Um, I'm wanting to say he went that far, that he re- he received, and he got downloaded to him. This um, says the Aramaic represents 12% of the Dead yeah. Sea Scrolls. Yeah. And so not a huge amount. It would be a small amount. But also, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls was a little bit more than just the Bible, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I think there was a lot of other texts included in it because it was a parchment. There was a portion of parchment. Mm-hmm. And I'll have to confirm that. Um, it's been a little while since I studied into the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it is. If we look at it now, let me let me dive back into a little bit on this. So the original thing is how we get the Bible into English and how we got it translated. There. Um, because you know it's. I've heard people say this, and again, I'm just going to give you some truth today and facts. The King James was not the first English Bible by any means. And I've actually mm-hmm. heard people teach that. Um, I've actually heard even people on this radio station before teach that the King James is the first English Bible. It definitely was not by any means or regards. Um, it was actually, if if I'm thinking right, it would probably be the fifth or sixth English Bible ever translated. Um, there was several more, more than that. And you can go into the ancient manuscripts. So you have the original, then you have the ancient as far as I think I can understand, un- unless there's been something recent last year or two, because I have not dove deep into this, we don't ha- we don't really have original original manuscripts. We don't we have ancient manuscripts, and we have manuscripts as um, far back you know the third second century. Mm-hmm. And I think there may have been a portion of John, maybe one of the oldest manuscripts we had, and maybe the late nineties. Um, so that would be huge. But I think it was a very small portion, yeah. um, because you got to remember they wrote on parchments that disintegrated pretty easily Mm -hmm. and um and so once we had these we had what was and also you had the septuagint and i'm trying to cover everything and i know we got to go to break septuagint was basically the old testament written in greek Mm -hmm. and that's what a lot of the greeks would have used of the day would have been the septuagint and so it was basically the hebrew translated into greek so Mm -hmm. the septuagint is not a like per se a manuscript. It is actually a translation, translation. of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They talked to, talked about the Septuagint yeah, they a lot. Yep. Um, in school. Well, a lot of your Greeks during Jesus' day, if they did read the Old Testament, probably would have read kind of a translation into the Greek, because mm-hmm. um, a lot of your Greeks didn't read Hebrew, 
And so they would have had some kind of context or a, a release. And then um, when we get back, we'll continue forth and we'll start talking about the Texas Receptus and stuff, which is a manuscript, and then the Westcott and Horton manuscript and some other ones that people perceive and talk about. And I think there's a lot of bad thinking around it, like the Texas Receptus was not the oldest manuscripts there mm-hmm. by any means. Actually, the Texas Receptus wasn't really created until just recently before the King James was translated because the King James was translated from the Texas Receptus. But it was not an old manuscript by no means. So these are the things that nobody talks about. And mm-hmm. um, people may be bored. Well, if you're bored, repent and learn your Bible. All right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love you guys so much. Um, eat, go eat some biscuits and gravy and enjoy your morning. Mm-hmm. But for those, um, I, I think a lot of people did talk to us about trying to dive into this kind of stuff. Yeah. So we will try to be on task. I'll try to stay more on task and we'll keep moving ourselves forward of the Vulgate, the Geneva Study Bible, the Wycliffe Bible, all these things that we will continue forth when we get back after the break. Um, we'll read our second trivia question, too, after the break mm-hmm. here in a minute. So we're going to be right back here after the break on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. Here on Mornings of Box 2 Radio, let me get the second trivia question out of here for this morning. Uh, Wednesday question number two. Who was the only woman mentioned by name with the apostles? in the upper room waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Who was the only woman mentioned by name with the apostles in the upper room waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit? 270-257-2689 is the number call. Get your name in twice in this two-week period here on Mornings of Box 2 Radio. It's a good day to be alive. It's a good day to be in the Word. Um, and we are working on translations because we said we would, and I don't want to be a liar. So um, I'm trying to be honest. And uh, we're going to work a little bit more. We're going to stay on task. Oh, I'm going to try to stay on task. They don't have trouble staying on task. I do because there's just so much to talk about. But <laughs> So I'll try to – we'll start – we'll try to progress our forward uh-huh. so we're not just chasing rabbits the whole time. Yeah. Um, the original manuscripts, then you go to the ancient manuscripts. So that's the oral presentation or oral passing down. And so that would be your early church fathers and mm-hmm. ne- Neocene, Ni- Nicene, um, you know, some of these early ones, if you um, – antiquities – that's what we call them. If you can go to the antiquities work, and that would be your early church fathers. But then we start to go in around three and four BC, and Jerome, who was a Catholic person, um, wrote or translated it into what we would call the Vulgate. Mm-hmm. The Vulgate was a Latin ter- translation of the Old Testament, the New Testament. Now, the Latin translation has been a staple for a long time for the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. For a long time, they actually read from the Vulgate, read from the um, translation, and from the Latin, and that was the only thing they did mass in. There's still some, there's still a lot of Catholic churches today that will read just from the Latin, um, and so their priests don't read English; they read from the Latin text. And for a long time, actually, the Catholic Church didn't want anybody to have any other translations of the Latin text because they only wanted their priests to know. And um, and so I'm just talking about history for a minute. And so a lot of the, the persecution that came when people started to write and translate the Bible into English was from the Catholic Church. It was those that did not want the Latin translation moved out of. They wanted to keep it Latin because the, they wanted the church to control on mm-hmm. that, and so that was the force. That was the force hand. If nobody can read anything other, if the, if people can't read Latin, they can't change anything about the Bible, and they really mm-hmm. don't know what's in there. And so, we started to move. Okay, um, we got an answer for the trivia question. Yes. Do we have a new? Uh, I haven't heard of this uh, one. First before. time answer, I think. First time awesome. uh, listener, I think, or first time listener that's answered a trivia question, I think. Um, Elaine Montina got that right. Okay, awesome. Well, it's really good, Montina, Miss Montina, to hear your name this morning, and 
Thanks for calling in and getting that answer right. And that answer is, let me get there. It is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it's great. It's great to always hear new listeners answering Bible questions. And we welcome you into the running for that two-week trivia. Amen. Um, so once we get to Vulgate, then we move on. Now, there's other things that pop up here and there. But you get some codex. You get some other translations of the, the, the Catholic Church. But now we're starting to... We're not so much spending time on that as we are about how we got it into English. So in um, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to use a little bit of date. Sorry, I, I don't usually use a lot of notes. But 1320 through 1384, a guy named John Wycliffe, or Wycliffe, or Wycliffe, Cliffy. I call him Wycliffe. I like that because it's the way it's spelled. <laughs> Wycliffe. So if I say Wycliffe, it's because I like the way that would sound. Um, he was a English scholar and Bible student. And he conceived the plan of translating the whole Bible into common English. Um, he translated around 1380, and it is not known how much work he did before his death. The work was completed by his friends after his death, though, and this work rests heavily on the Latin Vulgate. So here's the important thing about the Wycliffe translation. It did not actually come from the Hebrew and the Greek. It came from the Latin. So he translated it from the Latin. So it is actually a transliterization. So a transliterization is basically saying... It's not a word. It's not a translation. It's a transliteration it's not because directly from exactly the Hebrew and Greek. So it, the the Vulgate would have been translated from the Hebrew and the Greek, and then the Wycliffe would have been translated from the Latin. So it's a transliteration, not a translation. And um, now he had a friend named Cloverdale, and I think he was very instrumental. No, no I'm sorry, Cloverdale was a friend of Tyndale or Tyndale, and Tyndale was the next one in order to get a great. Um, an English translation. He was early and courageous reformer and was determined that English common people should have the Bible in their own language. Persecution made it impossible for him to do the work in England, so he crossed over to the continent where his New Testament translation was issued in 1525 and the Pentateuch in 1530. And so he translated the New Testament and the Pentateuch, which have been the first five books of the Old Testament. His translation did not rest on the Latin Vulgate as much as Wycliffe's. Tyndale was a Greek scholar and accessed the Greek texts of Erasmus and others that helped Wycliffe, but did not, I mean, that Wycliffe did not have. He was martyred before he completed the Old Testament, but generally believed that he left the material that later appeared in the Matthews version. Um, Miles Cloverdale was a friend of Tyndale, and he prepared and published a Bible dedicated to King Henry the Eighth in 1533, 1535, Cloverdale's New Testament is largely based on Tyndale's. He used the Latin and other versions that as helps as well as Tyndale. So um, now we have this other one. Remember the Wycliffe Vulgate. Um, Tyndale before he died, he was he was martyred. He he was killed for doing the New Testament um, in English. And before he could finish the Old Testament, he was murdered or martyred or whatever you want to call it. And um, now, his work and materials, they do believe was left so it could be completed. Cloverdale, he went in there and he translated basically from Tyndale's work. So that would be a major transliterization because now um, Tyndale, if you go back, he was he wasn't like a very famous Greek scholar. So he was he was skilled at it. He was good at it. And he did the New Testament directly from the Greek and Cloverdale, though, was doing his from Tyndale. This is where it gets really dangerous, is that um, it's it's dangerous to go to a translation that has been translated from the original text or a Vulgate or anything to that regard and then translate it from English to English. 
because now we are, for me, that's where it gets really dangerous. And if you have a translation that's translated from another English translation, I really don't think you should be using that translation at all. I don't really think it would even be considered a translation because I think that you need a translation. And I think your translation should come from the Greek and Hebrew. That's just my opinion. I don't think your translation should come from the Vulgate. I don't think your translation should come from anything other than the Greek and Hebrew. Now, even in your paraphrase translation, I think they should go back to the Greek and Hebrew. Mm -hmm. A paraphrase, again, we talked about this last week, is thought for thought. It's not a word for word. And um, it's a thought for thought. So I think even your paraphrase version of the Bible should come from the Greek and Hebrew. Yeah. I think everything should go back to that. And we talked about NLT is a good paraphrase version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not going to spend so much time on these next two. In 1537 and 1539, there was the Matthew Bible and the Great Bible. Um, I actually have a Great Bible. Um, it's on my shelf somewhere. It's called the Great Bible. And that, I had that one. I don't really endorse either one of those too much, but oh, it is what it is. But then here's where the whole concept of King James comes in because Reformation started happening. We're in the 1500s. Reformation's happening. One of the cries of the Reformation is the Bible getting everybody's hand. So whether you're a priest or whether you're the boy who drives the, the they call it the ox, plowing the fields, you need to have a translation that can be read. And the, the Reformation was persistent on getting the English translation to everybody's hands. That was one of the cries of the Reformation because one of the cries of the Reformation, there's these, I'm sure y'all heard these in schools, the sola, sola fide, sola scriptoria. So, okay. Yeah. So there's some, there's, I forgot how many exactly solas there was during the Reformation, but one of the major solas was the sola scriptoria. Yeah. It's, that's like the, the main. Scripture of, alone. Yeah. The Calvinism. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they're, they're. They're classified with Calvinism, but mm -hmm. really it was just a cry of the Reformation. that mm -hmm. like um, something like we need a solo, like it's mm -hmm. it's this alone, so scripture alone. The reason solo scriptoria was such a big deal was that the Catholic Church was saying they could they could change scripture, they could do scripture. Mm -hmm. Well, no, scripture stands alone, and so the Catholic Church was putting themselves above the scripture yeah. during this time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying they do it today. I don't go. So I'm saying during this Reformation. Um, they were selling indulgence. They were doing these other things. And they were saying that the, the church was bigger than the scripture. And the church, the pope, determined what scripture should and shouldn't say. And if they didn't like it, they could take it out. So one of the cries of the, the, one of, the, cries of the Reformation was sola scriptoria, basically mm -hmm. saying it's scripture alone. Yeah. yeah. And so what— That's actually what it means, right? Yes. The, mm -hmm. yeah. the translation Latin, of that. It's Latin, Latin sola yeah. um, alone. Scriptoria means scripture. So it's it's Latin for scripture alone. And um, they created what would have been known as the Geneva Study Bible. And the Geneva Study Bible is one of the actual first study Bibles. It actually had notes. It had actually had context. And that was pretty much unheard of for that period. Mm. Um, and plus, it was going to everybody. Well, the and the Geneva Study Bible was created, the Geneva Bible. And it was, um, you know, there may have been hesitations on some translations of like that. But it was it was rapidly going. It was expanding. It was it was flooding over, and this it was actually the Bible. Basically, I guess you could say it like this in terms of we could all just flow easily with. It was the Bible, the Reformation, like it was the Bible used during for the reformers and those. Well, the Church of England then thought, well, we better do something mm -hmm. because the Church of England, which was closely tied to more of a Catholic ideology and stuff like that, they said we're going to make our own Bible, and King James then authorized a group of. Um, scholars and monks to go into a room 
and translate the Bible. Well, that's they translate it from the Texas Receptives. We know that Bible as the 1611 King James Authorized Version. And the King James, in essence, was created to be churches of England's fight against the Geneva Bible because they did not want the Geneva Bible in here. And one of the reasons they did not want the Geneva Bible was because it had the Reformation study notes. So all these notes that were circulating from the Reformers about sola um, scriptoria and the cries of the Reformation and, you know, it's Christ alone. It's it's Scripture alone. Mm-hmm. Um, how accurate was the Geneva? Um I think it was a fairly good Bible. I mean, it was the Bible that, I like, you know, the Reformers used. So Martin Luther, John Calvin, all them, they would have used it. But I'm not, I probably, you know, I think our translations today are better than Geneva. But I'm mm-hmm. just saying, the reason I bring up the Geneva, and I'm not trying to make it the all-in-all Bible, I'm just saying this is what's going on in this area of the Re- Reformation. The Reformation was a game-changer for the church, period. It changed everything for the church. Because for the first 1,500 years, once Christ died, the apostles, they they went away. Um, they was martyred except for John, and he died more of a natural death at Ephesus. Um, you, know, you had the early church fathers. But then you started to have a church world that went more Catholic. So you had Constantine early in the mm-hmm. 14th, the 5th, 4th century right there. And he started to change everything, Constantine, because what happened was it became a state church. So Christianity ceased to be a movement and started to be a state church, and everybody had to to follow it because now the state, the church of England, um, England was making you basically be Catholic. So Constantine was trying to make you be Catholic. He was trying to make you follow this. And so everybody was doing it. And then when you had that, now they could just do what they wanted. So for a long time, we started to have a church world that was unchecked. This is when the crusades happened. This is whenever all the war started to happen. That was when the church history, again, there's a lot to be taught in all this. This is a very brief overview. The Reformation came along and said, wait a second, we can't sell tickets to heaven. And that's what a diligence was. So Tinsel, or Tinsel, or Tinsel, however you want to say it, I call him Tinsel. He was selling a diligences at this time for the Reformation. And Martin Luther started to teach the Book of Romans to a group of students. Well, Martin Luther started to say, well, this can't be right because the gospel that I heard is not the gospel Paul's writing the Romans. So Martin Luther gets radically changed. And then he goes and writes the 95 Thesis on the Doors. And in the midst of all this, Bible translations become a much bigger deal because now we're starting to understand, oh, my goodness, what have we done? Like, what Mm -hmm. have we done? Because we're changing the word. We're changing the scripture. We're doing all these things. And the Reformation comes along with John Knox, Martin Luther, John Calvin, all these great reformers. Do they get everything right? No. But no, we changed the game. Like, that changed the whole church structure because they started to understand we can't sell indulgence because mm-hmm. indulgence were literally tickets to heaven. They would yeah. go out in the streets and say, you buy this ticket, you buy this indulgence, and you get to heaven. Well, who wouldn't want to do that? Mm-hmm. If somebody comes to me, hey, 200 bucks, you get this ticket, and you get to go to heaven. Sign me up. It's deceitful. <laughs> sign me up. But what you saw a lot of time in church history was those increases in the sales of indulgence were happening also at the times of great building projects and were when the church was hurting for money or something like this. And so they started to destroy all this. And in the midst of destroying all this, the Church of England was losing its grip because now everybody was getting the Bible in their hand. So they have to learn to control this. Um, and the King James then was authorized in the midst of the Reformation to really, in essence, um, and what I can see in studying history, is to refute the Geneva because they mm-hmm. needed to keep that Geneva out of people's hands because it had study notes. Mm-hmm. And they did not want... You got to religion. You got to remember. They always wanted the the people reliant upon the system. They had yeah. to have it reliant on the system. They didn't want them to have understanding of their no, own. No, you can't. 
because once you get understanding their own, and I, I'm I'm going to be very honest, and this is coming from the mouth of a deacon of a church. In um, I had lunch or breakfast one time with a um, Catholic deacon, and I asked him how they. Um, and he was really gracious. I really did love it. I really honored him. I, I appreciated him. He spent about three hours with me at breakfast one morning because I was ministering to a family from the Catholic Church. And they were questioning, you believe this, but we believe this. And I said, well, why do you believe? We don't know. We just always told that. So I needed to know why they believed what they believed if I was ever mm-hmm. going to help. So I yeah. asked this um, Catholic deacon if he would do breakfast with me. And I just asked him theological questions. I asked him other questions concerning the practicality of the church. I asked him how they see the scripture, what they teach. And one of the statements, the most concerning statement for me the whole morning was that we don't want our people reading the Bible. We want to read the Bible for them. And we want to teach them the Bible. Now, I am not saying that's a generalization. I don't think every Catholic church is like that. I'm just telling you this is what came out of this guy's mouth. That's really the thought pattern behind these, the Reformation and the anti, like because they didn't want you to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to read the Bible for you, and so when they this this text started going to the English translation, the common language of the of of England, well, the boy driving the ark, the ox. Oh no. He could understand. He could understand, and now they're going to lose their grip on indulgence. They're going to mm-hmm. lose their grip on purgatory. They're going to lose their grip because unless you have the apocrypha, you don't have purgatory. Because the only re- the only way the purgatory can, can can work is if in the book of Maccabeans you had the prince of the Maccabean family who was going out on the battlefield after the battle and putting coins in people's mouth to try to buy them way out of hell. And that's where purgatory started to come about. So you take the apocrypha out, you take purgatory out. Well, they can't have purgatory out. So now let's create an English vers- English translation that had the apocrypha in there because the Geneva didn't. You see how all these is yeah. kind of working together. Again, I am not saying the King James is a bad one. I'm not saying it was a manip- I'm just saying this is some history behind it. Mm-hmm. And then we start moving into out of that. And now we get into this text called the Hort- Westcott and Horton. And Gail Ripplinger wrote a book about King James onlyism. And she, she, she said a lot of things about Westcott and Horton. Westcott and Horton was, from what we can tell in history, evil men. They were not great men. Have y'all, did y'all hear about West Cotton Horton in Bible college? Mm-hmm. They had a translation. They had a manuscript. It's called the West Cotton Horton Manuscript. Um, they, were, they were not godly men. It was not a good manuscript, per se. Um, there was a lot of evil intentions. But a lot of our, some of our new, te- some of the Bibles we have today come directly from the West Cotton Horton, but not all of them. And, but I do think there was some misquotes, and I think there was misinformation that was mm-hmm. in that book that caused a lot of controversy. Um, Michael, I think it was Michael Brown. I think he debated her. I had to check that. I, I shouldn't have said it if I wasn't for. There was Todd. Maybe it was Dr. Todd. It was somebody who's really skilled in this. I have to get that name. I'll get that name and clarify. But he 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 debated Miss Ripplinger one time on a radio program, and it was not pretty. Actually, it was it was awful. Um, and as far as I understand, as far as I know, she never did another one in her life, another debate. Because it was just all the facts, all the statistics, that it was ripped plumb apart. The whole book was ripped apart because there was a lot of misinformation in it. And I'm not saying she was intentionally did it. I think she got a lot of bad information because, mm. um, you know, and and so from that, West Cotton Horton text, then we have some other ones. We're still finding manuscripts. We're still finding older things. We're still seeing these things unravel. Then you start to have what would be more of a rigid modern day translations that we started with the new revised standard version with NRSV. 
Um, that's the one that's still used in a lot of Bible colleges. Um, if I have to guess, you all probably had the Redback Bible, the NRSV with the Apocrypha in it to study. Yeah, that's pretty that's much the one I have. Every student, most most of the time, every Bible college makes a student use that, and it's it's the NRSV with the Apocrypha. And it's very technical notes in the bottom. Um, I have one. Actually, I think mine's in the stage here. I used it one morning because I come over and just grabbed the first Bible I saw, and it happened to be that. Um, mm-hmm. And but it's it's more of a college Bible Bible mm-hmm. student Bible. Um, like we said earlier, the NASB was derivative that came about, and um, that is arguably most scholars believe the most accurate again. But it's so clunky to read at word times. For word. Um, I think there was. Is 1977 NASB is there, um, but I can't remember when they did a revision. It wasn't too long ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, and try to fix some of the clunkiness. But so, do we know what the NASB was translated from, or like was it a um, revision? Well, it was the New Revised. Yeah, um, let me see here. The NRS, the RSV, or the Revised Standard, 1881 through 1884, made a committee of English and American scholars. While it was supposed to be another revision of the authorized version, the King James, um, it goes beyond that as it reaches down to the most ancient of copies and manuscripts that were not available when the authorized version was translated. So this is the hard part to really get across. I can't say that there's a just a manuscript. Mm-hmm. What 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 are they doing? What they're doing now today is taking all the manuscripts we can find and kind of compiling them together. And so the RSV was actually supposed to be in in essence, I guess the way it's best to say is an updated English version of the authorized. So it was supposed to be an updated King James. Now the King James went under a very big translation upgrade or update, not upgrade, update. <laughs> I think in 1990s, um, and that was a huge one. Um, but the RSV was supposed to be the update. It went beyond mm-hmm. that. So it kind of, they were using manuscripts that the King James translation didn't necessarily have that was found after that. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the NASB, and the NSB, NASB is the version incorporates into the text the readings preferred by the American members of the Revised Committee of 1881-85. So they work off of that. Um, and they come in there, and now we have updated new NASB. So the NASB was originally created early 1900s. Then we went into 1977 was a major update of that revision ERSV. Now we get into all these newer texts, which the ESV, the CB um, Christian Standard Version. This is my fear with so many translations. Y- y'all know me. I I, I use newer ones. Uh, moderate like ESV I use that one a lot but I feel like the dangerous thing right now is companies are just coming out with new translation because it helps their sales mm-hmm. yeah. so like you can like these these publishing companies that are coming out with Bibles that are published by them that way you go buy their version and it mm-hmm. makes more money for that company because that's their version they don't have royalties to pay for somebody else and they don't have this and, yeah. um, and some translations or at least if I'm remembering correctly uh, I know for the our professor in Bible college, he talked about um, he was affiliated with the Southern Baptists, uh-huh. and he talked about certain translations being affiliated with certain denominations. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Which I think is just is is dangerous. Yeah. Yep. If you're making a translation for your tribe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then it's tribal. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's basically saying I need the scripture to say what I need it to say so I can preach it in my tribe. Yep. To me, that's the Passion Translation. Like, it's not even – if I read the Passion Translation, it's not that it reads bad. It's not that it goes, that's heresy. But what it is is it basically is a tribal translation. Mm-hmm. It's a translation that group of people or that – we don't call them denomination, but you know, like that tribe yep. can preach from because they use the same vocabulary, use the same words they would use when they preach. You have your Book of Mormonism, which Joseph Smith went crazy with, and it's a cult. Like the four books, I mean, if you go at excess of scripture, you become a Christian cult, and that's what they did. They have four books of sacred reading now, and then you have the Book of Mormonism and all these kind of things. Well, that's basically tribalism on steroids. What we do, though, is just as dangerous in some regards because, well, I'm Baptist, so I need a Baptist translation. Or I'm Methodist, so I need a Methodist translation. Or I'm Catholic, so I need a Catholic translation. We don't need a translation with a slant. We need a translation with truth. And that's what we got to guard. And this is how, this is in practicality how we got the Bible to English. As a very brief overview, and we could probably take a whole semester and learn all that yeah, and what's the, the deeper into it. I mean I did all that and we did all that in about 45 minutes so that's a very big overview I mean that's far reaching but far the stretching. most important thing is the reason that we can't have a King James only and nothing else is because there has been other other manuscripts found there has been other new things not it's not new because it was it's dated back it it's newly found, but it, it doesn't mean that it's like man came up with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I For me, the biggest thing, the reason I don't use King James is my main study Bible. And I, I mean, I use ESV, I'm not going to lie. And that really does offend some people. And I, I don't mean to offend you. And I'm not saying I don't like the King James. The reason I use the ESV is I just feel like I can understand the modern English a lot better. Like, so mm-hmm. even when I was reading the King James earlier and we got the soap or sop or SOP, mm-hmm. well, for me, it's just bread. And so, but it's hard for me, like, to read sometimes and not know exactly mm-hmm. how it's going. But I do think at the end of the day, like, I use the King James quite a bit. I read from it a lot because I think for the sake of unity, it's easier for some people to read because mm-hmm. um, they've known. I just, I don't want to get so bent out of shape. And I think we have to understand the whole translation issue. Cause I think yeah. there's just a lot of misinformation that said there's a lot of misinformation on the whole. Well, ESV is missing scripture. The NIV is missing script. But NIV is a dangerous translation in a lot of areas for me because of the gender inclusiveness that happens. So it takes gender rows out of it, but it also, that one's missing a whole lot. Like it was purposefully on some of those, like it's a lot. The ESV, the ESV has some script, some verses taken out, but it's in the bottom. And but it, it will tells tell you, you. It'll tell you exactly why, and um, again, I think sometimes some of these scriptures would be for us really good. And um, we'll do one, we'll do one scripture real fast, and we'll take a break and come back, and probably we'll get something else started for the last fifteen minutes. But John chapter eight, woman caught in act of adultery, in mm-hmm. the oldest manuscripts we have, we cannot find that scripture. So, like the oldest ones we've had of John, the woman caught in the act of adultery is not in there. Um, and do I think it should be in there? Well, I don't think it would contradict anything. I think it's a good prince. I think it's it's a beautiful story. It's it's a it shows us aspects of Jesus that's not, I preach from the text. So mm-hmm. I think that like the ESV, I'm not for sure. I have to, that it's in there in the ESV, but in some translations, it's not necessarily the whole story's not in there. Mm-hmm. And so um, I I just think that 
we have to be cognitive of these things. Like, and the reason some translations may believe that is not that they think that scripture are trying to change it. Mm-hmm. The oldest manuscripts may not have certain things in there. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, um, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not in the oldest manuscripts that we have. So, like, the oldest manuscripts that we have, that one verse isn't in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where it starts to get really bulky for people. And they were that, and so what we think is translations are just purposely leaving it out because they want to change scripture. Well, if they wanted to change scripture, they would never put in the, the italics or the bottom, or sometimes just people put it in brackets and say, you know, give us context down at the bottom. Um, I just think we have to be cautious not to count out the new translations just because of that, because I think we have to hear exactly what's going on. Yeah. But I think if a Bible seems to have an agenda, like for me, the the NIV, this is me. I mean, I'm not trying to bash it. If you have an NIV, use your, use your NIV. It's, it's fine. I'm not going to tell you go throw it away. To me, it's like, it feels like there's an agenda to take away gender roles, especially the T NIV, which is today's new living, um, new international version. And that was, actually taken off the shelf I do believe in some places revised because it was just so much gender inclusivism that was put in there um, but and then like the passion translation for me feels like it's more of a tribal thing so it feels like you're just trying to get your tribe a Bible that you can use to preach from mm. um, and if you have a translation that it seems like your publication company just needs to make more money so you come out with the old translation that's pretty much the same way as the other translations you just need your own translation I have a problem with that but um but I don't have a problem with using modern translations. And I don't think, like, I, I know the hearts behind the people who translated the ESV because I've heard them all teach. Um, I've heard them all talk about the translation. I heard about why they did it. And none of it was, we want to manipulate people into believing the falsehood yeah. and lead people astray. It was actually, we want people to love the scripture. And we want mm-hmm. people to love the Bible. And Wayne Grudem, who's the main editor of it, I mean, when he was asked, you know, what do you want people to remember you by? He wept. I mean, he wept. And he says, as a man who loved and guarded Scripture. That don't seem like a man that wants to manipulate and lead people into falsehood. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just think that we have to be cautious. And yeah. I did my part. Uh, I'm not the greatest Bible teacher on history and all that, but especially in 45 minutes, taking us through 2,000 years of history. But Sometimes it helps to start with an overview, though. Mm-hmm to get a general idea of it. And then if anybody's listening and you know, this is, if we have anybody left, if we have anybody, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it has, you know, made me want to go a little bit deeper into s- certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, just to see, yeah. you know, uh, Joey texted me earlier with the dad joke and a question. What does corn say when it gets a compliment? All oh, shucks. Uh, and then he asked me Christian standard CSB info, please. Uh, to be honest with you, I know the Christian Standard Bible, and I think I may even have one, but I have not done a lot of research behind the version. So to Joey, I will look into that and see if I can find exactly. I think it was produced by Lifeway. It yeah, used it to is. be Holman. Like yeah. there used to yeah, one yeah. is a Holman Christian Standard, and then there's just regular Christian mm-hmm. Standard Bible. Yeah. It was revised. Well, I think the Christian Standard is actually the newest one, right? I think so. Because Hol- yeah, Holman- I had yeah. a Holman at one time, and yeah. I think they switched it to CSB. It's the, the revised, yeah, yeah. The newest. That was included yeah. in college in one of the five. Yeah, mm-hmm. that they wanted, and it to is use. produced by Lifeway. Yeah, um, I, that's what I was thinking. It was produced mm-hmm. by Lifeway. From what I've read from the Holman Standard Version, I used to have one, and I, it destroyed on me because it was my thin line. I took it everywhere, so it fell apart. 
Um, and it was a solid Bible. I liked it a lot. Um, um, I love the ESV. I love the NASB. And I, my three main Bibles that I use is the ESV, NASB, and the King James. That's my three. And then my paraphrase of choice is the NLT. I don't read a lot of the message. Um, I'm not against it. I'm not. Let me just clarify that I'm not against the message, um, because the message and the NLT they are what they are. They're paraphrased. Yeah. You cannot take it as a word for word. And let me just let me just say that to all those out there, you should not study from the paraphrased version. You shouldn't. You should study from a word for word. Can you? Should you read? Like for me, if you're doing the read through the Bible in a year, I think an NLT or the message is really easy to do. Like I think it's. It's 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 like that overview that that narrative reading, getting the story in you, getting the highlights. That's really good. That's what it's for. And the NLT is really good for teenagers and kids to get into. But when you're studying and you're picking apart and you're dissecting, or what we would call in theology exegesis in the text, you cannot do exegesis with a paraphrase mm-hmm. because exegesis is you're pulling the word out. You yeah. you're dissecting. You're getting there. You're doing polemical study. You're doing all these things and a paraphrase you just can't do that off of because you can't study word for word. You're studying thought for thought. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I, I just, I think you have to use a word for word translation when studying. But you, I think, paraphrase for what they are, they're very good and in, in if you use correctly. So um, we'll take a quick break, Mariah, um, and come back here and finish out the last 15 or so minutes strong with a Bible question. So, or a Bible discussion. I've talked most of the time, so I'll let Jamie and Hannah figure out that. All right, we'll be right back here after the break on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. All right, we are back here on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. Uh, there is a few of you still listening, still caulking, still still messaging, so we didn't lose everybody out there. Um we don't do stuff like that too much, but it was requested and we talked about it. And um, and um, one listener did ask me my thoughts on the new King James. I, I like it. Um, it's kind of just a modern update of the King James and more into what the new King James for me does a lot is takes away the these and the thous. Mm-hmm. And so uh, kind of the, the, the thuses and the these and the thous and all that, it takes those out. So it modernizes it in that sense and kind of brings it to more like eyes and use and, you know, the Lord says kind of deal. Um, so I'm, I, I like the King James. I have no problem with the King James whatsoever. But I, I think to understand it, it's basically just a m- more of an updated, taking it from the old English into more modern, modern. English. And so, and again, I'll look into the CSB. If, if, um, <clears throat> If anybody ever has any more translations on Bible, you know, questions on anything like that, I'll try to answer them the best I can. Uh, and I, I will say this at the end of the day, regardless of your translation, the Holy Spirit has to be your teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Amen. I think he has to guide us into all truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have to just be careful what we say. Like, yeah. and I, I've, I've literally heard preachers say this. And again, I, I want to be as ready to preach instant in season and out season as I can. There is a responsibility when you say yes to pastoring, when you say yes to teaching, when you say yes to preaching, we will be held accountable for what we teach, say, and, and preach. And we have to be cautious not to be unprepared. Mm-hmm. And we have to do our part in stewarding into knowledge and understanding and wisdom. 
the Holy Spirit is always your greatest teacher. Yeah. But I've I've heard preachers, and my heart actually fears for him, that said Paul used a King James Version. All right? And he didn't. Like, we joke about that, but people actually really do think that. And this is where we have to, especially those who are teaching and preaching, I don't care if it's Sunday school. I don't care if it's Sunday morning services. We have to know. Like, we have to take time to learn. We have to be studious. We have to... Because we're going to be we're going to be held accountable if we lead people into false false doctrine, false information, mm -hmm. and so we it's important to understand translations. It's important to understand. But at the end of the day, Holy Spirit is always the greatest teacher. We have to rely on Him. He is He'll give us a sermon and all these things. But um, we just have to be cautious on it. Now I'll answer any questions that I can on translations that you all have. And um, one listener says Amen. Another listener says I think mornings like this answers questions we all have but don't know who to ask or how to ask. And I'm not an expert in all things, um, but I have tried to do some due diligence and study. And, and I, I do think a lot of people is confused. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think people want to ask questions, but yeah. they don't I mean, it's, it's not talked about. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know anything until I went to school and I still don't know <laughs> a lot either. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it needs to be talked about. And then even in school, you get into some dangerous things like the gospel yeah. of Q. Uh, if you're studying the Bible and you ever hear somebody talk about the gospel of you, my, my greatest advice is run away mm -hmm. um, because I think that is getting into some dangerous ground because I don't think there is a gospel of Q. And the gospel of Q is basically one gospel the other four wrote from. Mm -hmm. So supposedly there's just one Bible, one Bible book called the gospel of Q that we don't have that we should have because if if all four gospels came out of one gospel, shouldn't we have that one gospel? Yeah. And then you have moving into the gospel of Mary, the mm -hmm. gospel of Thomas, Please do not take the Gospel of Thomas as canon um, unless you're willing to receive the last few verses where it said Peter asked Jesus, can a woman go to heaven? And he said the only way a woman can go to heaven is if you make her make herself a man. Okay. And so I just that's the Gospel of Thomas. And so um, and here's one book of the Bible that is the Gospel of Thomas. Like, where did that come from? It was not Thomas, the disciple. This was a different Thomas about I think it was about the second century. Um, and the thing about the Gospel of Thomas, I've read it. Um, it's it has a lot of similar sayings, but it's not a story. It's more like just sayings of Jesus. Yeah. And it's a lot of them. And the dangerous thing is there are a lot of the same ones from the other Gospels. But then he throws in these other ones that are, ah. Um, and so this is why we should protect the sixty six books that are in there. Yeah. And this whole ideology that God's still writing Scripture. God's still writing the story, but he's not writing scripture. The scripture's mm -hmm. closed. Um, the 66 books of canon, we can't keep adding to. All right, now, is he still writing the story? Sure. We're still continuing acts in a sense. Like, we're mm -hmm. the works of the church is still continuing. Um, but we have to be careful not to add to scripture. Mm -hmm. And um, here's a book that some of you are going to be like, I don't know, Aaron, I really like it. I think we should use it because the Bible mentions it. You need to be very careful with the book of Enoch. I'm just kind of giving that warning out to people. Well, the book of Jude references the book of Enoch. Yes, it did reference the book of Enoch. But there's a reason the book of Enoch is not in the scripture. Yeah. And we have to be careful. And what happens, the book of Enoch has a lot of history. Um, it talks a lot about angelology, probably more angelology than any other book that we have. But then we get into this, a lot of our philosophy of Genesis chapter 6, which is the fallen angels, comes from the book of Enoch. Because it talks about all these quote unquote fallen angels, he even gives them names, gives them all these things, and um, I think it's taken a root because we really love conspiracy theory today. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't Mormonism 
um, used the Book of Enoch, and haven't they like kind of taken it and? I think they have to an extent. And derived some things yeah. from it. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, the Book of Enoch is actually a pretty popular book. Um, I've seen a lot of Hebraic roots people really using the Book of Enoch a lot. And I just, I, I'm more of on the cautionary side of it. Like, I've, I've piddled around in the Book of Enoch, but I would not. Rely on it. Like, I've actually heard preachers use it as reference in Scripture. I mean, sermons. Like, preaching from it almost if it sounds like the Book of Enoch says. Well, the you can't. I'm not using the book of Enoch like I would the book of John. And if you start to give it that kind of accreditation and influence, then, again, you might have the potential to be held reliable and accountable for what you're teaching people because you lead people astray. Yeah. Um, this is why I say all the time, I am not driven by theories. I'm driven by truth. And truth is in the scripture. That's why we should protect it. Amen. So. All right, y'all close it out. I'm talking the whole time, and I feel like <laughs> Um, I feel like I'm just dominating but this you, whole morning. I feel like you're passionate about it, and I think it's helpful that yes, like we're learning. Yeah, <laughs> We've we're been learning this morning with mm-hmm. all you listeners, like mm-hmm. you know, because it is a it is a process of studying and mm-hmm. putting the time into it. Yeah, like that's something I've just learned is like if we want to if we want to grow in it, we have to put the time in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to remind everybody. Putting time does not mean you may hate to read. Like there's people who just really don't like to read. You don't have to read all the time. There's a really there's really good podcasts. There's really yeah. good audio stuff. There's really good video stuff on YouTube mm-hmm. that will teach you a lot of this. But you get you gotta find a good teacher. Like yeah. don't do the one guy that has a wrinkled up blanket behind them with um <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that they're not teaching truth, but like if they have thirty four views and there's a solid Bible teacher that has three million over about teaching the Bible and doing it accurately. I'm just telling you, like, mm-hmm. find somebody of reputation, find somebody that's credible, find yeah. somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. Um, because there is everybody and their mom puts out video on YouTube, and mm-hmm. um, but there is a lot of really good resources. Mm-hmm. If you want resources, you can text me, and I will try my best to give you some links and stuff like that. And um, I'll do my best, but you'd always don't have to read. Like, we've got to take that out of the context that studious is only reading. Yeah. It's not. It can be audio and visual. And people learn sometimes better audio and visual than do mm-hmm. reading. So mm-hmm. um, that's good. Yeah. I've even listened. I mean, I like to listen to audio Bible sometimes. Sure. Um, I love podcasts. I found, yeah, podcasts. Um, but sometimes it's just easier if you're, especially if you're up and moving, to listen to the word mm-hmm. being spoken word versus reading it depending on um, what you're doing. But I think it would be, um, it would be good to talk, like talk with one another more about resources that we use. And I think it also is like accountability, like Mm -hmm. to, to talk with each other about, okay, what translation are you reading? Like what resources are you using right now in your study time? I just think that is good accountability to talk about these things. It is. Because I know for me, like, a lot of things like asking questions is just so good. It, it is. Questions are not stupid and like don't feel like mm-hmm. it's a bad thing to ask questions because there's always I feel like that's why the Lord gives one has us sharpen each other because mm-hmm. some of us have been in a in a part of the word that maybe another hasn't. One of us has, you know, had this, you know, got this principle that maybe another hasn't or studied the historical context yeah, the behind context. it which yeah. i feel like a lot of people they don't they haven't been taught how to study the historical context and yeah. it's i mean it truly is important if 
accurately interpreting the scripture. I think sure. we've just relied so much on pastors and teachers to do the work yeah. and that we are kind of like what we were talking about earlier with the religious system that wants us to just rely yep. um, mm. that it's not became a norm for yeah. for yeah. she for those of us for all of us to do our study sure mm-hmm. and i feel like pastors are finally waking up and getting better at trying to get tools in the people's hands yeah. mm-hmm. and you know even stuff like the U version app and um like the esv study bible i, I have it on my app so like I, there's an app for it and i just have it so all the notes mm-hmm. everything's at the fingertips for there and um technology can be a bad thing but technology can be a great thing too. Mm-hmm. Technology in itself is not inherently bad. It's how we use it that makes it evil or good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we could we should not discredit technology. And mm-hmm. because it can really be beneficial in helping us learn and grow. Yeah. So. Yeah. It can save us a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe I didn't know about the search bar on the on the U version Bible. It makes it much more mm-hmm. It makes it so much easier to type in any word like for word studying or mm-hmm. in any translation or type in a verse and or like for me a lot of times the Lord will remind me of a scripture and give me like a word or I'll remember like some words of a scripture yeah. but I can't reference it because I don't know the address. But then I'll type in the words and it'll pop it up immediately. Like yeah. it's just very helpful to have stuff it's like very that. helpful. Mm-hmm. The Bible Project's a good one uh-huh. with videos of explaining context and different books of the Bible and different, like, theological questions, and but, like, actually explaining it in a way that you can understand. Sure. And they got visuals. Yeah. like, And I think Bible Project's a good example of the fact that um, there's a lot of really good material, mm-hmm. and there's a few videos that I would strongly disagree. But we've mm-hmm. got to quit throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So it's even like, for me, um, Pastor John MacArthur who a lot of people don't like. And I, I would differ with his view on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, 100%. But I think he's rich mm-hmm. in wisdom and knowledge. And we owe a debt of gratitude to him for his New Testament commentary and all mm-hmm. the work he's put into in 50 years of studying the Bible now and all the resources that he's given to the church. And he's one of the best Bible teachers in the world, hands mm-hmm. down. Uh, but a lot of people never listen to him because they may disagree with his stance on the gifts. or mm-hmm. And... We just have to be cautious to stop throwing the baby out with the bathwater yeah. all I mean, the time. We, we, those who love and trust in Christ, in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mean, we can use discernment. And, I mean, just... Because you will not agree with everything somebody says. No, mm-hmm. Yeah, you won't. Sometimes I will get off the... I stop, I'll, I'll look in the mirror and say, I don't even think I agree with you, Eric. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, it's been a good morning. I know we're out of time. Um, sorry I dominated the conversation so much today. But... Um, Sometimes we need it. Well, yeah. we had a lot of uh, we had a lot more people listen than I thought because I'm still getting texts about it. So uh, praise the Lord, and it's good to have Jamie back in the land of the living, yeah. um, <laughs> in the promised land. Uh, I thought she left. I thought no. John's got her or something like that. I didn't know. No. Everybody else came back from vacation, and she was still gone. It was, uh, just, it was just three days. I thought she just stayed. I was like, Ohio swallowed her up. Um, <laughs> well, I, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're out of here. We'll be back tomorrow, 7 a.m. Central Time here on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network.